and welcome on in to CBS Sports Radio. It is Ryan Hickey here with you on CBS Sports Radio. A happy Thursday to you. Thank you for making us a part of your evening slash afternoon right here on CBS Sports Radio. We are just about an hour from week number 10 kicking off. And the doozy, pray for, pray for Al Michaels for this one. We got Panthers, Bears, Tyson Bajant against Bryce Young. Oofa. But I'm glad these two teams are playing. They combined right now for three wins on the season. Three and 14 combined records starting week number 10. But the reason why I'm glad this game is being played now is I want to revisit right, that trade that Carolina made earlier in the offseason where they traded up a lot. They gave up two first-round picks, two second-round picks, and their best receiver in DJ Moore to move up in the draft from the slot number nine, which what they had, all the way up to number one, traded obviously right with the Bears in order to be able to draft Bryce Young. So they gave up a ton. Two firsts, two seconds, best wide receiver to go up to number one to get Bryce Young. Even though they gave up a lot, I don't think at this point, even with how ugly it's been so far, the Carolina Panthers should have any regrets about making the move. They should not have any second guesses, any doubts about making that big move they made months ago before the draft. Because it's too early to draft, or I should say to judge, Bryce Young. It is way too early after just eight games to come to a conclusion that Bryce Young's a bust. And so if we can't sit here and say, he stinks, he's done, then there's no reason right now for the Panthers to feel any sort of regret about trading all that draft capital up to number one. I know we're conditioned, right, to think, well, if you're great in college, you're going to come right in and have all this great success. There's no learning curve, no bumps along the way. Either you can play or you can't. Plenty of star quarterbacks, though, in the NFL recently haven't burst on the scene, struggled early on in their careers, had to work through it and figure it out in order to attain greatness, in order to get to the level that they're playing at right now. Sure, Patrick Holmes comes in, sits out his rookie year, first year as a true starter, wins the MVP. Awesome. That's more of an anomaly for a franchise quarterback versus the rule. Look at Josh Allen. Imagine the the Bills back in 2018 made a judgment or felt regrets about drafting Josh Allen after just eight games of his career. I mean, he stunk his first year. Barely completed 50% of his passes. He threw more interceptions than touchdowns. Trevor Lawrence is the same way, by the way. I know there's Urban Meyer. I get it. And Urban... Was bad. He was terrible. But Trevor Lawrence's rookie year, after what was supposed to be, or he was supposed to be, right, the second coming of Andrew Luck, where it's John Elway, Andrew Luck, Trevor Lawrence. Those, like, the three guaranteed to be right, impossible to bust quarterbacks coming out of college that whichever teams are lucky to get them, it was going to make, oh, we just got ourselves maybe the you know one of the best quarterbacks ever played this game. Trevor Lawrence's rookie year looked anything but one of the greatest quarterbacks ever played this game. 12 pick, uh, 12 touchdowns, 17 interceptions. Again, 
I get it. Urban. But still, Trevor Lawrence, even with factoring in Urban Meyer's presence, still never actually had you like believing in year one at least, oh, this is the guy. It really took until the second half of last season for him to finally hit his stride and be like, oh, that's the quarterback everyone was talking about coming out of Clemson. That's the guy that won a national title his freshman year, and we already deemed him uh, deemed him after that national title to be the first pick in the 2021 draft. Eventually lived up to that. That's the guy. We finally see it. But it took a year and a half for him to reach that level and two different coaches. It took Josh Allen really until year number three for him to fully develop, come together, and put together in 2020 that MVP-like season that we saw helped catapult him into being one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. So eight games, we are far, 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 far away from casting judgments on Bryce Young, on deeming him a bust, and with that said, if the book is still wide open and we're nowhere near drawing conclusions, there is no reason whatsoever the Carolina Panthers should feel any sort of regret about giving up four draft picks and their best receiver to go up to number one and go draft Bryce Young. And let's not forget, like, look at the traits, right, that, that Carolina fell in love with when they wanted to draft Bryce Young. A lot of those traits, uh, traits, aren't going away and are going to be the reason why I think he's still going to be a really good NFL quarterback um, shortly. The guy coming out of Alabama, he was scouted as what? To be super accurate, very smart, a great decision maker, poised in the pocket, tough, and makes others around him better. He wasn't a guy that came out of Alabama that was like Mac Jones, where he had elite talent everywhere. Like, Matt Jones had elite receivers, elite guys to, you know, run the ball. He had Najee Harris. You have Devontae Smith. You have a great offensive line. Everything Mac Jones, a great play caller, by the way, and Steve Sarkeesian, who did a tremendous job in that 2020 season specifically of scheming up guys being wide open. Go back and watch that year. Any throw Mac Jones makes to a guy who won the Heisman Trophy and Devontae Smith. Look at the nearest defender in most of those throws. There's no one within five yards of Smith. And it's not because the defense... Forgot about him. It's because Sark did a great job of scheming him open and creating plays to get those guys in space. We are seeing right now Mac Jones and that great 2020 season he had at Alabama was a product of the talent around him. Bryce Young was absolutely not in that same boat. You look at the Alabama roster last year, there was not a lot of talent on it. You had Jameer Gibbs, sure, a top 12 pick in the NFL draft, but that was also not only his best running back, his best receiver. You had a down Alabama offensive line compared to the standard that we have known the Crimson Tide to have. The wide receivers, I mean, no one on that team last year in 2022 from Alabama is playing in the NFL. You had zero NFL caliber receivers. You had one threat in Jameer Gibbs and a down offensive line. Bryce Young last year carried Alabama to victories. And the two losses weren't even his fault. And you lose, what, 52-49 to Tennessee. At the gun. And then you lose, was it 33-32, I think was the exact score, against LSU in overtime when they went for two. Offensive Bryce Young showed up in both of those losses. Uh, both of those losses. Can't blame him. He made everyone around him better. So those traits we saw from Bryce Young last year at Alabama and what made him the first overall pick 
are not traits that are that were great in college that you can't carry over in the NFL. All those traits I just listed you, accurate, smart, decision maker, poised in the pocket, tough, make others around you better. Those are all the traits of elite quarterbacks. And sure, it's a little slow for him right now. But there's no reason, I believe, why he won't show why he was the number one overall pick here sooner rather than later. And could we also, could we give the kid a break? In the sense that, could we also remember what he's working with here? The team is not very good. And we're talking about an offensive line that right now, halfway through the season, is ranked on whatever website you want to use, PFF, Pro Football Network, whatever stat website you trust the most, go look at their offensive line ratings halfway through the year. The Panthers, you got to scroll all the way down. One of the worst. So you have one of the worst offensive lines in the league blocking for you. You have no wide receiver talent whatsoever. Adam Thielen, I thought was going to have a bigger impact on this offense than he is. Right now, also, there's no one behind Adam Thielen that's any sort of threat or, you know, scaring the defense. So even still, you're talking about an older wide receiver being your number one threat that's not exactly a burner, more of just a really a possession receiver. It's not exactly a recipe for success. You have no off- uh, no run game to lean on. Like, there's no balance in the offense. We're now Bryce Young because the defense is not very good. They're getting down early. You have no run game to keep the defense honest. Teams and defenses he's going against are pinning their ears back and going after him. And when you have a bad offensive line playing in front of you, he's getting hit a ton. Bryce Young's the, tied for the fourth most sacked quarterback right now in the league through week number nine. And he's had a bye. So he's played one less game than other guys right now as well. He's getting hit a ton. In part because right now, teams only know and expect one thing coming, the pass. Because they don't respect the Carolina defense, so they get out to early leads, and they don't respect the run game. And I'm going to put in air quotes there, because there is none in Carolina. And look, even the coaching, like, I'm a, I'm a Colts fan. I liked Frank Reich. I liked him a lot. I felt bad for him when he was fired last year. I think Frank, uh, Frank Reich is a good offensive mind and a good man. But even him, now in his first year in Carolina... He has already given up the play-calling duties. Took like seven games. And all of a sudden, that was enough for him to give the offensive play-calling duties to his offensive coordinator. So look at what's going on in Carolina. You got no offensive line. You got no running game. You have a possession receiver in Adam Thielen being your number one target. No explosiveness. No guys there to take the top off the defense. No consistency. To help you out, you have a head coach who was hired with offense in mind who now is already giving up the play-calling duties not even halfway through the season. This is also on Carolina in terms of why he's struggled so mightily, that is Bryce Young, early on in the first eight games of his career. Carolina has to give him a chance. And right now they have not done that whatsoever. And that's why I don't think if you're the Panthers going to this game as you now are facing the team that you gave two first-round picks to, two second-round picks to, and DJ Moore to, why you shouldn't regret that trade. Why you shouldn't sit there and go, oh, boy, man, we really screwed up here. Oh, we could have used those first picks and first-round pick and second-round pick, and that first-round pick looks to be this upcoming year like it could be the number one overall pick. It would have been great to maybe switch quarterbacks or... 
maybe get Marvin Harrison Jr. or trade down and get ourselves a boatload of picks. Yeah, Carolina could have used a first and a second round pick this year to get talent around Bryce Young. But I think Bryce Young is still good enough as a quarterback and still is going to develop sooner rather than later, excuse me, into the quarterback Carolina believed he was going to be when they drafted him back in April. A lot to give up, but you right now, eight games in, no reason. Absolutely none. That really did not, not make sense. No reason, none. You should have no reason, keep that grammatically correct, to feel any sort of regret right now about making this trade. 855-212-4227. I'm curious your thoughts here. Do you think right now it's enough to say, you know what? Yeah, Carolina should regret it. That's a lot of draft picks they gave up. They are looking like they could have the number one overall pick in this upcoming draft, which means they could have had, if they want a new quarterback, Caleb Williams. They could have had Drake May. They could have had Marvin Harrison Jr. They could have, in the second round, get another bona fide you know, contributor from college. Top prospect. If you're picking, you know, if you're picking first, I mean, you're also picking 33rd. Picking 33rd, first pick of the second round, is basically a first-round pick. So you could have had a lot of opportunities there to improve your roster if you didn't make this trade and if you just stuck uh, stood at number nine last year. But I think right now Carolina should have no reason to regret the move. Do you agree? If not, tell me why 855-212-4227. Should the Panthers regret right now? Trading all they did to get Bryce Young. 855-212-4227. Add Ryan underscore Hickey and the number three. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take your thoughts on if the Panthers made a mistake. But also, too, second half of the season officially kicks off tonight. So what I have is this. I got a little hat. I got some papers. We're going to go through some second half predictions here and tell you what to watch out for. For the remaining 10, 9, 8 games, depending on what your team's buy, uh, buy situation is for the rest of the season. We'll do that with Ryan Hickey when we do return right here on CBS Sports Radio. It's Ryan Hickey here with you on CBS Sports Radio. Thank you for making us a part of your Thursday right here. Where else? But hopefully the only place you consume sports on the radio, CBS Sports Radio. Okay. So we are about to, again, about an hour or so away now from the second half of the season kicking off here on Thursday Night Football. One and seven Panthers taking on the two and seven Bears. A doozy of a matchup to get the week started. Don't look, by the way. I think that's bad. Do not look at the rest of the primetime slate here. The Germany game, my apologies, as my Colts are taking on the Patriots. Yuck. Sunday night is Jets Raiders. Monday night is Broncos Bills. I'm doing something, by the way, I've never done in my, we'll say, professional career. And that is this. I think I'm going to DVR the Sunday night game. I already told my girlfriend, Raiders Jets, don't worry. We don't got to be by the TV for that one. Out to dinner. Sunday night is date night. Because let me tell you, I cannot, and she'll usually watch me, give her a lot of credit. She's, she's tough. I cannot subject her to watching Zach Wilson Versus Aiden O'Connell. No way. Maybe that's Italian. Oh, thank you for her kind of bearing with me as I do sit on my couch every Saturday and every Sunday watching all these games. 
Sunday is day night. So in a way, thank you, NFL. You get me out of the doghouse here for at least one weekend and allow my girlfriend to want to do something she wants to do on a weekend, which is anything but watch football 24-7 all weekend. So that is at least getting me out of the doghouse here a little bit. But with the season now getting set to kick off, I want to do a little second-half predictions here with you on CBS Sports Radio, and we can... Um, I feel like we'll do it in a different way. We'll pick categories out of a hat. I got seven categories here. They are on pieces of paper, and I am right now holding a beautiful, beautiful navy blue CBS Sports coffee mug. So let's pick the categories out of the mug and give you some predictions here. First category is, oh, let's go to the end. Coach of the year. End of the season. All right, this is not so far the mid-season review. This is the end of the year. Predictions. Who will be the coach of the year? I think the winner is going to be D'Amico Ryans of the Texans. I don't think Houston is making the playoffs, but I think that's a coach this year that has done more with less talent. Like they are right now. The fact they're four and four is is honestly a miracle. CJ Stroud has been tremendous. This team is tough. They are playing every, you know, they're in every single game. And I think part of what coach of the year should be is judging coaches based on what they're working with. Like, it's easy for me to say, oh, Mike McDaniel's done a great job of this offense and they are approaching record-breaking numbers. It should be Mike McDaniel. Well, I'd also argue, look, this is not taking anything away from McDaniel, but he has Terry Kill, you got Jalen Waddell, two is really good, the run game's great. Like, you should have that success. You know, like, like, oh, Zach Taylor, like the Bengals are now all of a sudden coming alive. Or Nick Sirianni, oh, the Eagles have the best record. Yeah, they, they should be because they have the best talent. And so I do think Coach of the Year, part of it has to be, what are you doing with the roster you have assembled? And I said it before, I don't think there's right now a coach in the NFL that is doing more with less than D'Amico Ryans in Houston. By the way, Nick Sirianni, uh, excuse me, Nick Sirianni, Shane Steichen, honorable mention with the Colts, doing a very good job as well. Playing with Gardner Minshew for most of the season and still having a top 10 offense. But CJ Stroud is looking like a home run right now, draft pick in part because what's around him and right now that team is working well. I think right now, coach of the year, my prediction at the end of the season, it will go to Houston Texans head coach, D'Amico Ryans. All right, what else we got here? Oh, we're really going at the end first here. I guess that makes sense. We're doing second half predictions. Super Bowl pick. I'm sticking with my preseason pick here. Bengals 49ers. Bad news for the AFC. Bengals are back. With the way Joe Burrow right now looks healthy, with the way the rest of the AFC is played, with Kansas City struggling on offense and really struggling to get any sort of weapon established that's not named Travis Kelsey, with the Bills, I think, just not being a Super Bowl caliber team, I'm right now worried about the Ravens come post in time. If their passing offense can keep up right now with Baltimore, uh, with Cincinnati, I don't think it can. The Jaguars, I want to see more from them in terms of winning big games to get them on that elite level. I don't think right now in the AFC, with the way the Bengals have played the last two weeks, and what I think they will be going forward here, don't think there's a team in the conference beating them. Cincinnati is going to the Super Bowl. I think they're winning it. And I'm not worried about the 49ers whatsoever. You could freak out with the three-game losing streak, and oh my God, is Brock Purdy actually bad? They're fine. They are fine. They are a team that's, that starts slow for the most part anyway. And rounds into form right about this time. I think we'll see that. That's kind of been the DNA of Kyle Shanahan-led teams. 
We'll see that again. 49ers do beat the Eagles in the NFC title game. Go to the Super Bowl. They, though, lose to the Cincinnati Bengals. All right, next category. The NFC South winner. I mean, right now, this is probably the toughest division to pick, that in the AFC North. I'm going to go. So they're winning the NFC South. The Saints. Don't feel good about it. I kind of hate it, actually. I really don't trust Derek Carr. I especially don't trust Dennis Allen whatsoever. But the problem is, who do I trust then? And Carolina's obviously already out of it. But I don't really trust right now the, the Falcons with what's going on with... I mean, Arthur Smith, it feels like it is almost intentionally ignoring B. John Robinson. And is like purposefully like trying to piss every fantasy owner off by not involving him, not getting, not getting Kyle Pitts involved as well. It's been weird. They have a lot of talent on offense. Doesn't seem like Arthur Smith wants to get the most out of it. So I don't know what's going on in Atlanta. I don't really trust right now them in terms of winning this division. And I also don't trust right now the Buccaneers to play complimentary, good offense, good defense for the rest of the season in order to win this division. Saints got a lot of talent on their team. Right, Defense is legit. And the offense, I hate to say, but the offense is too much talent to fail. Michael Thomas, Chris Olave, Alvin Kamara, like, Derek Carr is solid. They finally got back on track two weeks ago against the Colts in, in terms of looking as good as they should. Now, we should see it more often. We haven't, but they also have an easy schedule. I think we'll get them, uh, get them to 10 wins. I think the Bucks have a challenging schedule, especially right now sitting there at 3-5. and five. Also, the, the Falcons don't have an easy schedule either. So the Saints, because of their schedule and because of the talent, I think will win the NFC South. All right, next category we got. Again, second half predictions right now going forward for the rest of the NFL season. It's Ryan Hickey with you right here on CBS Sports Radio. Oh, here's a good one. Who will grab the number one seed in the AFC? Hate to go chalk here, but I got to go old reliable. The Kansas City Chiefs. Have you seen their schedule? It's manageable. It is very, very, very manageable. They got three tough games left. Eagles, Bills, Bengals. Good news for KC and their fans. All three at Arrowhead. So be at home where it's been an extremely tough place to play and for opponents to go in there and win. Three biggest games of the second half. At home, big advantage. You look around the rest of the schedule, right? The only, or the rest of the league, I should say. I think the only really two teams that have a real chance right now, I guess you could say the Bengals, but they're in a really tough division. The Ravens and the Jaguars. Ravens have just one gimme game the rest of the, the uh, rest of the season. I think that's the Rams. That's the only game to look at the Ravens schedule and say, oh, that's an easy win. Everything else is a toss-up. They may win some, but they will, they will win some. They're a good team, but there is not many gimmies here. Jaguars have four tough games left. I think the schedule, more than even just the talent, because I'm not a believer right now in this Kansas City offense, schedule. Biggest reason why I think the AFC playoffs will run through Arrowhead yet again. All right, next category. NFC seventh seed. So I think the, the first six seeds for the NFC playoff picture are for the most part solidified. Not in order, but I think we know the six playoff teams. I think we can easily say Eagles, locks to make the playoffs. If we just go by right now, division leaders. Um, 49ers, locked to make the playoffs. 
winner of the NFC South. Someone's going to win it, and someone's going to make the playoffs. I picked the Saints. And I think the Lions, as well, locks to make the playoffs. So those four division winners, locks. The other three, I think two spots are already taken for the wild card. Seahawks, I think right now at this point, are locked to make the playoffs. And the Cowboys are locked to make the playoffs. So in not that order, but I think right now already six of the seven seeds for the NFC are already taken. So when you look at that, I think the seventh seed in the NFC is coming down to one of three teams. Vikings, Commanders, Falcons. Three teams vying for the last playoff spot. The one who's going to get it? The Atlanta Falcons. This is Taylor Heineke time. Like, this is the exact situation he flourishes in. Coming off the bench, here to be the hero. Already, coincidence or not, he comes in and starts for Desmond Ritter last week. What happens? Falcons, I know it's a loss, but, you know, nice little comeback there by Josh Jobs late. But, season high, 28 points. He brings a spark. There's a, Again, there's a lot of talent on this offense. I don't think the division is attainable for Land, but I do think the seventh spot here, when we're talking about Joshua Dobbs starting for Minnesota, and the commanders who were sellers of the deadline, even though they have talent as well, I right now trust the Falcons more than those other two teams. I think Arthur Smith will figure it out. He'll get Bijan the ball more. And they have a manageable schedule as well, which, again, is not going to be a murderer's row. I think the Falcons claim the seventh seed in the NFC. All right, we got two categories left here for NFC, or I should say second half of the NFL season predictions. Ooh, here's a good one. How many coaches at the end of the year will be fired? I think we're going to see four coaches fired. Fired. Bill Belichick, Frank Reich, Ron Rivera, Brandon Staley. I think the end is near for Belichick. Now, he might get traded, which may hurt my, I guess, cause here in terms of firing, but I just don't see a way he is back in New England. This feels like the last straw. I don't think he's getting fired in season. I know there's a report there from the Boston Globe that he could be fired if they lose to the Colts in Germany on Sunday. I'm not buying that. But I do think when it's all said and done, we will not see Bill Belichick as a head coach, or as, as he would say, the HC of the NEP this time next year. Don't think he'll be the coach in, in um, New England. They're going to go in a new direction. I like Frank Reich, but David Tepper, man, he is someone who has no patience whatsoever. We just talked about before. Should the Panthers regret trading all the way up and giving up what they did to get Bryce Young? I think it's a legit... I don't think they should regret it, but I think it's a, a fair question to ask eight games into the season. And I'm sure if I'm asking it, David Tepper is thinking it. If he is defending Bryce Young and likes Bryce Young, but you see how bad this offense has been, well, something's got to give, something's got to change. First thing you're going to do without having a first or second round pick is fire the coach. He has a quick trigger. He likes to make moves and does not have a lot of patience. So even though I like Frank Reich, I could absolutely see him if this season does not improve uh, dramatically quickly. See him being on the outside looking in of a new job. Ron Rivera, I do think it's going to kind of be at the end of the rope and kind of in similar vein to Carolina, which you got new ownership in there. They seem to be wanting to make a big splash. There's already reports that they could try to trade for Bill Belichick at the end of the season. So it feels like Ron Rivera's time is limited in in, uh, Washington. And Brandon Staley, man, like, I don't think the... The Chargers are making the playoffs. And I just don't see how he survives. If you have all that talent on the roster, all that money being paid out to premier talent, and you're sitting there at home, you know, come uh, come playoff time. Again, I don't think that's going to happen here. Um, and that's why I do think that he'll be fired in L.A. 
final category, MVP. You know who's getting it? Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow's getting the MVP. I think he's having a monster second half here. I like already what I've seen the last two games from him against the 49ers and against uh, the Bills. And think about it. Think about how bad uh, Cincinnati started off this season. They are 1-3. Burrow looked terrible in those games. So a slow start. He was hurt for most of the year. And that now through eight games leaves him in terms of stats, right? He's 17th in the NFL in passing yards. He's tied with Baker Mayfield and Jordan Love with 12 touchdown passes on the season. Not exactly the company you want to be in when it comes to MVP talk. And he has the 16th best passer rating. I bring up those negatives to say this. With all of that, slow start, bad stats, he right now on any, you know, uh, go to any betting site, he right now has the fifth best odds to win the MVP. That slow start did not disqualify him halfway through the year from being a top five MVP guy, which means when he continues to take off the way I think he will, he's just going to rocket up those boards. I think he's going to get the MVP and win the first one of his career. All right. It is Ryan Hickey with you right here on CBS Sports Radio. When we return, I want to circle back to this Michigan and Jim Harbaugh situation because there's been a lot of discussion about why Michigan is being investigated. Not what the allegations are, but why the NCAA is picking, quote-unquote, on Michigan and Jim Harbaugh and the latest, a prominent alum of Michigan, is out here trying to make it seem like Michigan is the victim. It's Ryan Hickey with you right here on CBS Sports Radio. These are a big next few days for yours truly here and my happiness. Now, look, I'm going into Saturday as a Penn State alum believing they're going to lose. I don't think they're winning this game against Michigan. I don't think they're covering even the four-and-a-half-point spread right now that Michigan is favored by on the road in Happy Valley. So I'm not delusional. I'm not trying to, you know, sell you some line that I don't even believe about why Penn State can win this game. But with that said, my happiness, even if I go in expecting to lose and they do lose, is going to be at an all-time low. When before this season, I really thought this was going to be the year they break through. They got the quarterback. They got the team. This is the year. Let's go. Their bare minimum will split Ohio State Michigan win one of those two and have a chance to make the Big Ten title game and have a chance to make the college football playoff for the first time in program history. Right now, 0 for 1. I think about it to be 0 for 2. And one thing I hate here, right? There's a lot going on with this Michigan scandal. One thing I hate is trying to feel your oats before you've actually done something. So I want to play you here a video from Penn State. So to give you the context, because it's a video, and obviously we are an audio medium, you can't see it, but I'm going to try to paint you a picture so that the audio you hear makes sense. So Penn State social media team, they're at practice, uh, at Penn State's practice yesterday. And they're trying to get the crowd hyped up. It's a noon game Eastern, so early, right? Trying to get college students. They were trying to really push the message all week. Hey, get there, be loud, be proud. Let's make this hostile environment. I think it will be. But again, trying to to drum up the fans here, especially the students. And so they had players as they're walking off of the practice field, basically giving like, you know, the fans a different sort of pep message. Hey guys, be loud, get there early. Let's go, let's get fired up. And one of the clips is defensive coordinator Manny Diaz, former Miami head coach. Now does a great job coaching this Penn State defense. That is one of the best in the country. He walks over to the camera and does 
three things. He walks over, points to his wrist, cups his hand over his ear, like as trying to say, I can't hear you, and then holds up three fingers for the number three. So, again, just to paint the picture here before I play the audio, this is Manny Diaz, Penn State defensive coordinator, getting set to play Michigan on Saturday with the obviously entire cheating scandal in the background here, really at the forefront of this matchup, runs over to the Penn State camera, slaps his wrist as trying to say the time, cups his hand to his ear, and holds up three fingers. This is what Manny Diaz had to say about those signs right here. Those are the signals for get there early, be loud, especially on third down. I hate that. I hate that. That is a clear shot at Michigan, a clear troll job to talk about them cheating. And frankly, I don't think Penn State has earned the right to talk smack before a game. Win a big game, then you can talk smack leading into a matchup. Nothing drives me crazier than when teams run their mouth when they've not, they've done nothing to back it up. You can talk about, oh, Michigan's cheating. Here are my signals. Look at these signals. Manny Diaz's defense, he was there last year at Penn State, cheating or not, allowed 418 rushing yards to Michigan in the Big House last year. So you have that hanging over your head. It was a laughable performance from this defense. And now you have the audacity and the gall going into this game this week to take a shot at Michigan, your opponents, when they embarrassed you last year, and I think are going to win the game this year. But even regardless of my predictions, Penn State has never won a big game to where right now in the Franklin era, they can go into a game cocky and arrogant and talk smack. They can't go into Ohio State week and say, oh, can't wait to beat the Buckeyes or make some sort of joke if they're under scandal. They have never beaten Michigan when it matters, when Michigan's been good. So maybe let's worry about stopping the run and less about making jokes, and less about, honestly, putting up bulletin board material. Don't give Michigan anything they could use. And it's small. That clip I played for you was five seconds. It's stupid. But it's unnecessary. Certain teams have earned the right to talk smack before the game. Because they have backed it up. Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson. They have all won titles, been consistently dominant, have been premier programs in college football. They have earned the right that if they want to kind of feel their oats a little bit before a matchup, they can talk smack. They can run their mouth. Penn State has not earned that right. After the game, different story. If this is Saturday at 4 o'clock Eastern, all bets are off. You Trust me, I'm doing it myself if Penn State wins. You make all the jokes, you make all the comments you want at Michigan and sign stealing if you win that game. But based off the fact of their embarrassing loss last year, when they got smoked and ran out of the uh, ran out of the big house, and the fact for their propensity in the biggest game of the year, every single year to not come through, I don't think they've earned the right, nor should they, be making any sort of even for how small it is and how stupid it is, any sort of joke or insinuation, or putting out bulletin board material when you haven't done anything to earn it. That really frustrated me. As a Penn State fan, I hate that. And I hate it even more they put it out on their own social media. Bad luck. Bad luck. What also annoys me too, speaking of the Michigan sign-stealing scandal, if you are somebody 
that believes this is a witch hunt, that the NCAA, that the Big Ten are investigating and coming after Michigan, not because they cheated, but because they are good. I got a bridge to sell you. That is one of the stupidest things anyone could say. But I'm seeing it now more and more. The latest being a Michigan legend. Charles Woodson on the Pat McAfee show today. Today gave his assessment and his belief why everyone right now is looking into Michigan's program. I got to congratulate Jim Harbaugh for building this team into a position where it seems like people are envious of what he has going on in this program. If you think about it, man, five, six years ago, did nobody care about what Michigan was doing? Um, you know, Harbaugh was a couple of years in. Uh, you know, we were winning some games, but we, cur- we couldn't beat Ohio State. And now here we are. We've been able to beat those guys two times in a year, uh, two times in a row. And so now uh, everybody's looking at Michigan and saying, okay, you know, these guys can't be that good. What are they doing wrong? Yeah, that's the way I look at it, man. All due respect to Charles Woodson. That is the dumbest thing he's ever said in his life. They are going after Michigan because they have beat Ohio State two years in a row? That people in college football are envious right now of the Wolverines and that's why these investigations are going on? What are we talking about? Can we get one thing straight? Michigan's success is great for college football. Jim Harbaugh is great for college football. He is a polarizing head coach. He's a character. He has a personality. He is fun. He wins. He is great for the sport of college football. Michigan, with their history, with their success, with them being one of the blue bloods of college football, having a national brand, a massive alumni base, them being relevant, them being good, is great for the growth of college football. It makes more people interested than normal that normally wouldn't be. Which means that is great for the Big Ten and great for the NCAA. Puts more money in their pockets when big-time programs, historically rich programs like Michigan, with a fun, polarizing head coach, are great again. This is not a witch hunt that is happening because people are envious that all of a sudden now Michigan is good. If that's the case, why did no one go after Alabama? Alabama has dominated the college football landscape. They have won six national titles with Nick Saban. They've been to the national title game nine times since 2009. Why has no one investigated them to try to take them down for how good they've been? Why is no one envious of the Crimson Tide's historic success? Ohio State, really since Urban Meyer got there, but even before that, but let's just say since Urban got there, keep us you know, a little bit more historically recent, has dominated the Big Ten. Why has no one looked into Ohio State's program to take them down the way Michigan fans are alleging the NCAA is looking at their program to take them down? How about Clemson? You talk about being envious of this team, and you heard Charles Woodson say, well, they can't be that good. Something must be going on. How about Clemson? There was literally a verb. Made for Clemson. Clemsoning. When you would not win big games. When you would fold in the biggest moments. Dabo Sweeney took this team to three national title games. 
or four national title games, excuse me, and won two out of nowhere. Why did no one investigate them? There's this, this investigation is not because of envy. Michigan State, because they beat Ohio State, or Michigan, excuse me, Michigan, because they beat Ohio State twice now in two years and won the Big Ten two years in a row and have made the college football playoff. They haven't even won a national title or been in the college football playoff national title game. Why would anyone in college football, why would the NCAA or the Big Ten be envious of their success and now come after them for bogus charges they weren't real? These allegations are real. That's why they're being investigated. There's no jealousy. This is not a witch hunt because Michigan is good. The NCAA and their own conference at Big Ten is coming after the Wolverines because they cheated. Stop with this stupid pushing of, well, we're really good, so they're coming after us now. It's not fair. Nonsense. When we come back, most NFL fan bases want to do it. Few teams are realistically can do it. I'll tell you what it is next. It's Ryan Hickey on CBS Sports Radio.